Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Okay, Uh, if you're taking notes, this talk is called Sharks with Laser Beams. Um, We're going to read some scripture and then we're going to get into this. So Numbers 13, we're going to start reading here. Before we happen upon this verse, uh, God has, so this is a little bit of context of the narrative here. Uh, do you remember the, you know, the, Israel, the Israelites were, they were uh, slaves in Egypt? Remember that? You ever seen that movie, Prince of Egypt? If you haven't seen it, go home and watch it. It's, it's incredible, okay? So, long story short, God destroys Egypt, and he, you know, Asta Lasagna takes them out of there, and they're in the wilderness now, and they're about to go into the promised land. So God has, God owns this property, uh, it's called the promised land. It's his. And the tenants there at the moment are horrible tenants. They don't recognize him as God of the land, uh, which is a huge no-no in the ancient Near East. Um, for, uh, uh, do you remember Naaman, the Syrian, that got healed of leprosy? Do you remember in that story when he like puts dirt from Israel on his donkey to go back to Assyria? It's because he's like, well, the God of this land is really powerful. I'm bringing dirt back with me. And I'm going to put it all over my house so that I have Yahweh as my God. So in the ancient Near East, gods were attached to land. Um, The the reason why God destroyed Egypt the way he did with those ten plagues is because he was going after the ten major gods of the land of Egypt to to show Yahweh is the God of every land. Um, But ultimately, God has this land. He's kicking the tenants out. He's going to use Israel to kick those tenants out to judge them. And then it's going to be... Well, they're, they're going to be the managers of that land. And then eventually, when they break all the rules, God evicts them because it's his land, okay? Just want to establish that idea, though. The promised land, Canaan, is God's land. Israel's not an owner, they're a steward. Kind of like you, you don't own anything. It's just, it's just your whole life is just stewardship. Your, your body, everything, everything about you really belongs to God. So that's what's happening here in the narrative. So in narrative... in in Numbers 13, just before God lists out these dudes, they're representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he lists them out, okay, that dude's going to be, I I need 12 12 volunteers to go and spy out this land that you're going to go take. And so they list out all these names. And so this is where we're reading. So these were the names, we just just read them all. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of uh, of Nun, Yeshua, changes his name to, you know, hard J because of the Germans there. So transliteration, uh, literally. Uh, The reason why we call Jesus Jesus is because German theologians. Thank you, Germany. Um, So, uh, but that's the transliteration, right? In in the Hebrew, Yeshua. Okay, so um, verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of of, of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. We got the verses here. Beautiful. Okay, there you go. You can follow along with me. Um, and, uh, and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, uh, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Get the details, right? Uh, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Uh, now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zinda Rahab near uh, Libo Hamath. And they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Because the descendants of Anak, uh, if, you're been a, if you grew up in a Christian home like me, descendants of Anak, boom, scary. Scary stuff, okay? There's this guy named Frank Peretti. He's a Christian writer. And he has a whole heyday with the descendants of Anak. The descendants of Anak are essentially these giants, okay? So it's meant to kind of elicit a bit of fear for the original audience just reading it. They would be like, ooh, the, the Anakim are there. No bueno, okay, that's, that's not good. Uh, Hebron was built seven years uh, before. Uh, they came to the valley of Eshkol, and cut, uh, Eshkol literally means cluster, uh, and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. That's a pretty big cluster of grapes. My wife and I went to a vineyard in Adelaide in Australia um, a number of years ago, 
and it was the, I think it was in February, which is like their August, um, and the, the grapes were, you know, juicy, um, and they were thick, and they were about to fall off, man. It was amazing. And they, they had about 12, 12 different varietals out on the lawn. And they're like, just go ham, dude. Go and check them out. There's all these different varietals, and you can just taste them. And I'm like, I can taste them? Like, yeah, you can taste them. Can I squeeze them? They're like, squeeze them. Just go for it. So I'm going around, and I'm like, babe, you know, I'm finding the varietals. The Pinot Noirs are over here. It tastes like Pinot. <laughs> Right? I'm like, I, I grab the, the grapes, and I'm like squeezing, like getting a cluster right in my hand and squeezing it like a freaking Greek god and just like that into me. And then some bees started to really ruin it for me, actually, because my hands got sticky and then they started to follow me. But the, the, the clusters were shockingly small. TBH. They were shockingly small. Imagine a cluster so big that two dudes have to, one single cluster, and the two dudes have to put it on a pole and carry it. It's a freaking huge cluster. The point here is that the land that God is giving them is ridiculously fruitful. Right? It's ridiculously, you're going to have to see it. That's why Moses is like, bring some back just so people can see what the, good, what the future looks like, what the goodness of God is going to look like. I think a lot of us struggle with the idea that, that the goodness of God is ridiculous. You know, David, there's a psalm. He, David says that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And sometimes we struggle, you know, to believe that God will be good. But we should anticipate the goodness of God, particularly when our lives are attached to the purposes of God. Okay? And so we have this, the church in the wilderness. That's what Paul calls Israel, the church in the wilderness. Okay, I'm laying, laying some theological foundations for you here. Um, and they're, they're going into the promised land, into the promised land, this good land that's got delicious grapes, and they're very large. They also brought uh, some pomegranates and figs. Obviously, Moses needed a bowel movement, and it's like, it's, it's, you know, just we've been eating just bread for three stinking days. It's a Lord of the Rings reference. Okay, let's keep going. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Uh, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, right? So they should be encouraged by this. And they told them, uh, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. That's ancient Near Eastern hyperbole for this thing's fully loaded. Right? It's, right? it's fully loaded, right? Uh, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Yikes. Okay. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the land in the hill country, and the Canaanites, right? So it's not just, there's not just one people group. There's a bunch of nations that are there. We're outnumbered. We're outgunned. There's giants. This is going to be a problem. Let's keep going. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Um, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able uh, to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. You're not listening to what we've been saying. Um, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, that's some hyperbole, right? Because at first they're like, yeah, there's just a lot of guys there. There's some giants. Like, it's going to be sketchy. Now, apparently, the land devours its inhabitants. I don't know about you, but land doesn't devour people. Right? I've never seen that. This doesn't happen, right? This is hyperbole. That they're employing here. Um, and all the people that we saw are of great. And now everybody's a giant, apparently. <laughs> everybody's a giant, dude. And, and there we saw the Nephilim. Oh, now the Nephilim are there. Okay, Genesis 6. If you haven't read it, it's fascinating. Go home and read it today. Genesis 6 is uh, that scripture verse where essentially angels marry women. 
They're like, oh, these, some of these girls are hot down there on the earth. And so they hook up, and they produce this other, like, half angel, half human race. They're called the Nephilim, okay? There's a great book. Gabriel hates it, so I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's by Dr. Michael Heiser, and it's called The Unseen Realm. It's fantastic. Anyways, he... You know, elaborate. If you want to nerd out, nerd out all you want. There you are. The Nephilim. So this is meant to, to make the original audience go, woo, wow, that's crazy. The Nephilim, dude, this is insane. It's, the, it's like the boogeyman. The Nephilim are like, like Bigfoot. It's, it's all, the land is full of Chewbacca, and, and it's crazy. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So they're looking at us like, whatever, right? Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept. Yes, I would be weeping too. Right? Like, they're, 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 they're sobbing, um, the entire congregation. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? And God's like, you know what? That, that's a good idea. I might run with that. Um, <laughs> Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? No. No, it would not be better to go back to Egypt. And here's why. There's nothing left. You destroyed Egypt. Right? Do you remember, like, the Nile turned to blood? The locusts ate everything. There's no food there. There's no gold there. You plundered them when you left. Oh, and they're probably still harboring the fact that all of their firstborn are dead. They might not really be happy to see you, right? That's a horrible idea. That was literally like weeks ago that we did that. Let them heal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Don't go back to Egypt. Horrible idea, right? Obviously, they're, they're losing their minds now. This is the fear and the anxiety talking here. They're catastrophizing. They're, they start, have you ever started to sit and make, make stupid plans because you have stupid fear? Yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. And this is what's happening here is that they have stupid fear. They're, they're beside themselves. And so now they're making stupid plans, right? Uh, why is the Lord bringing us? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt, right? And it's like, what is happening? This is insanity. Uh, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people. Now, when Moses and Aaron fall on their faces, usually this is because there's fire that's about to come out from the Lord. And so they're just ducking. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're literally getting out of the way. It's like, it's like if we're in a room and, and you're, you're with your friend who's a Marine and he just hits the floor, you should hit the floor too. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because that dude knows what's up. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, you'll drop. It's like, why? I, don't ask. Just drop, right? Like, and so that's what, so they know, like Moses and Aaron know, oh, they know what's up. They're like, oh, this is going to be bad. This is, this is not going to be good. Um, then, uh, next scene here, Joshua and Caleb, they see, they see Moses and Aaron hit the deck. And so they start to tear their clothes in anticipation of a mass funeral. Right? And so then they start to, they're, then they start to plead with the people. Next verse, and they say, hey, guys, everybody, please. The land which we pass through to spite. They're spelling it out now. The land that we pass through to spite out is an exceedingly good Land, you've seen the grapes, right? If the Lord delights in us, P.S., he does. God delights in us. Don't know why, but he does. He just destroyed Egypt, the greatest empire at the moment, for us. Why is it that the church wonders if God delights in it? Particularly the church that's faithful to the Lord. Why do we struggle with that idea? I suppose there is that, you know, that Davidic axiom that our sin is ever before us, and I suppose that's a good thing. But the Lord delights in you. You are the Israel of God. God delights in you. And Joshua knows that. And so he's speaking to identity. 
You know, if the Lord delights in us, let's go back to that verse. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. He will bring us into this land, and he is going to do it. If it's God's idea, right? Remember the, that old adage, if it's his will, it's his bill. Right? The old guys were right. Right? At the risk of, of being a bit tongue-in-cheek, it's like, if it's his idea, then he's going to do the work. This is how faith works, and we're going to visit this in a second. He's going to bring us into the land. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. It's a bold statement. Their protection is removed from them. Why? Because their tenancy no longer belongs to them. It's God... Right? They're bad tenants. They're about to be kicked out. Their management is done. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Okay, so there's this passage in the book of Revelation, and we're going to read it right now. If you've read the book of Revelation recently, uh, man, that is an anxiety-inducing book. Um, I think for several reasons at times, because we don't know how to read it, you know, number one. Number two, anxiety is fear of future pain. And so you're, you're like, okay, like every time there's like a horn being blown or a seal being opened, you know, like half the world's being destroyed, right? So you're like, oh, I hope I'm not around for that, um, right? And like, I don't want to see this beast. It's, it'd be crazy. It'd be scary. And so then there's all these horrible things that are going on and da 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 So finally, you get to Revelation 21 and you're like, oh, I just want this book to be over. One more chapter. And in Revelation 21, God is finally setting things to right. Right? So he's dealing with, it's like, thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just fix, fix the problem. You know, why is this so long and drawn out? And, um, and so God is judging now. And so he's, you know, he's putting people into the lake of fire in, in this verse. Lake of fire. Where do bad people go when they die? They don't go to heaven where the angels fly. They sit in the lake of fire and fry. See him again on the 4th of July, Kurt Cobain. So that's what's happening here. And um, so, so, you know, you're going through the faithless, dunk, detestable, the deplorables, right? Dunk, right? Murderers, double dunk the murderers, right? The sexually immoral, dunk, sorcerers, Harry Potter, triple dunk, right? <laughs> Idolaters, dunk, liars, people who've ripped me off. I'm like, dunk them, God, right? But the, the problem is the first line is the cowardly. And the issue with that is because it's me. <laughs> Have you ever seen yourself in Scripture? To be honest with you, if you're not seeing yourself in Scripture, you're reading it wrong. I have, um, I have a friend who reads the Bible. Well, many of us are like this. We actually all have friends like this. But, you know, they read the Bible and then they always send you a verse that they because they don't see themselves; they see you. <laughs> you know, I was just reading the book of Proverbs yesterday, and it says that a fool, you know, utters all his mouth. And I just wanted to quicken you with that word, <laughs> so, right? It's like, oh, it's not not you; it's me, isn't it? Yeah, I love how that works. No, the scriptures should wound you, and. Uh, and, and this passage definitely wounds me. And the reason is, is because that's me. I'm a coward. I'm, I'm a scaredy cat. I'm a fraidy cat. I'm whatever you want to call it. I've got high anxiety because of, because of my vivid imagination. I'm like my mom. My mom is, we call my mom Debbie Downer. <laughs> my mom knows every stat on how you could die at any given moment. <laughs> Like she, it's hilarious. She's really fun to fly with. <laughs> Driving my mother is, is, it is, it is a punishment in, in countries for stealing. <laughs> I don't know how my dad has not strangled her. Honestly, like it's, it's, it's shocking. He has the patience of Job. It's insane. Um, but yeah, my mom's always like, she always knows, you know, like, oh, you know, like you could die from fixture falling in a church. And it's like, okay, great. That's, that's pretty awesome. So, you know, you get in an elevator with her, stat, you know, like, it's like, it's incredible. So, but my dad, 
so, so I'm like my mom, dude. I, you know, and I, I try not to feed the fear. Like she watches, you know, she, she, she doesn't need to be watching the documentary about MH360 disappearing, right? But that's how she heals herself. You know, it's like, that's not how you heal. It, you're just feeding the beast, dude, right? My dad um, is, is uh, Gabe is a lot like my dad, my brother Gabriel here in the front row, 18 months um, apart. I'm the older one and wiser. But Gabe, Gabe is like dad. Gabe is like Braveheart. If you follow him on Instagram, you know, it's terrifying, right? Um, that's Gabe. He's always got his face painted. He oozes courage. And he's been like that ever since we were kids. Um, I'm constantly looking over my shoulder and his shoulder, right? Uh, like a nervous wreck. I can remember the time we were kids. You know, dad would take us to the watering hole or a river or a lake. In Canada, there's, there's rivers and lakes everywhere. Okay? There's water. There's water everywhere. And what we do during the summer, the, the, the one week that we have summer in Canada, um, <laughs> we jump into bodies of water. And so Gabriel's the kind of guy, he'll just jump off a bridge. Now, you, you shouldn't do that. What you should do is you should go down, swim around, see if there's any rocks, any poles, you know, that's what smart people do. But Gabriel will just jump off into water. Um, or, you know, and my, so what will happen is my dad will be looking up at me like, are you, you going to go? You know, and then he'll use an expletive that you can't use anymore. He's like, are you going to be a beep? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to be a beep. I'm going to do it. You know, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Gabe. You know what I mean? Like, Gabe was always jumping off of rocks, going on roller coasters, jumping off of swing sets. You know, and I'm paralyzed watching him do everything. Um, we had this yearly youth group trip uh, to Canada's Wonderland, which is like Six Flags in, in Toronto. And it was about an hour and a half bus ride there, hour and a half bus ride back. We'd do it once a year as a youth, youth group. And it was the bane of my teenage existence because I hated roller coasters. And I knew that all the guys were going to go on roller coasters. And my, my, my stomach was always a knot. You know, and, and, and the whole trip there, you know, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be awful. I just want to be like Gabe. And Gabe's like, I'm going to go on everything twice, you know. And, and, and you're just going to go so high and we're going to almost die. It's going to be insane. And I'm just like, mm, right. And then the boys, they'd all, let's go on the biggest one first. And they'd all go. And I'm, mm, you know, and I'd be following them because I'm kind of in their friend group. And then... <laughs> You know, and then, and then we, and we get, you know, you get to the entrance and, and just the fear, right? And then, and then eh, you know, I, ju- I ate like two days ago. I just, you know, and the girls are going to be unattended if you go. Somebody needs to supervise them, chaperone. I'm scared for their safety, right? And you come, you come up with these excuses. And I would always miss out on the conversations on the bus going home. And Gabe would be like, yeah, I, I fell out of my, I didn't even buckle up, dude. It was crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't put the lap bar down, dude. I'm standing up, right? And I wanted to be a part of those conversations so bad. I wanted to be brave like Gabe. But I wasn't because I have a melty heart. And I have a wild imagination. Um, and that's a horrible combination. So hard, scary things naturally deter me. Um, now, I had a dad who, who didn't really allow that coward stuff, and so he'd make me do hard things. And thankfully, you know, I, I've learned that sometimes you've got to do hard things and scary things in order to have good things and to do important things. But naturally, I'm not a giant killer or a giant provoker. That's Gabriel. I like short giants <laughs> with pool noodles. You know what I mean? Like, God, I will do anything. For, I will take the promised land, but just make sure it's defended by toddlers. <laughs> I will destroy them. I will kick them and punch them. You know, it's like, dude, what's wrong with you? Why are you talking about hurting kids? Um, I remember reading somewhere that anxiety is an evolutionary survival mechanism, an emotional reaction of your body when it doesn't feel like it has the fuel necessary to get the job done. Emotions are warning lights that come on when you're driving. Anxiety is that evolutionary fuel, low light, when you're barreling down the highway. It's saying you don't have the firepower for this fight, dude. So run, save your bacon. It's designed to help you make the decision that will preserve your life. So naturally, if you don't have the goods to survive, your mind is going to start sounding all these alarms. And that's partially what's happening in Numbers 13 and 14. In Numbers 13 and 14, these guys are recognizing that they don't have the goods to defeat the giants. And so they're panicking. They don't have the fire. They're outgunned and they're outmanned. Right? 
The problem, though, is that the promised land wasn't on them. It wasn't about their ability. It was about God's ability. It wasn't even their idea. It was God's idea. And what they were actually doing was mistakenly thinking that they were the ones that delivered themselves out of Egypt and destroyed the Egyptian army and you know, made water come out of a rock and, and make it rain chicken wings. That was God that did that. Right? They thought that the promised land was on them. Now, this is where we have to pause the message and talk about how faith works. Faith doesn't start with you. It doesn't originate with you. Faith is not your own initiation. It's God's initiation. Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by faith comes by faith comes by hearing and hearing a word of God. The context in Romans chapter 10 is actually preaching uh, and it's soteriological. That chapter, meaning having to do with salvation. How does salvation come? Well, people need to hear the word preached. But faith comes by hearing. If you read through Hebrews chapter 11, every single one of those guys got a word from God. Right? Abraham didn't just decide, you know what, I'm going to leave my land and just start taking a walk and see what happens. God told him to start taking a walk. Now, God didn't tell him necessarily where. He just said start walking. Right? So faith isn't always this super clear picture, but it is a response to a real person's initiating word. This is where a lot of charismatics go off. We miss it. And we try to load, a, we put a lot of freight on that word faith, but we don't understand how faith works. Faith comes by hearing. So you can have faith for what God has said. You can't have faith for what God has not said. Let me give you a really practical example. I want a Cadillac Escalade. Brand new, fully loaded, power seats, power windows, power suit, the moon roof, all of the things, okay? I, get rid of the roof. I don't even want to tear the roof off. Okay? In the words of the immortal... Red Man and Method Man. <laughs> so I want, I want the spinning rims, all of that, okay? But God hasn't told me that I can have that Cadillac Escalade. So I can't pray a prayer of faith, but I can pray a prayer of hope. And hope does not disappoint, <laughs> right? So, so <laughs> okay, you, you're hearing me. God is my father. There is no Santa Claus. Who else am I going to ask for stuff, right? So... <laughs> God's not intimidated by your requests. In fact, I, I believe that the, the, the proof of adoption is that you cry, Daddy, Father, in your prayers, and you ask him for things. I believe that asking God for things is proof of adoption. And I know that that might be a limitation to that verse, but I believe it's a really great application of it. Okay, so I'm going to pray a prayer of hope, but I can't pray a prayer of faith. Are you seeing the difference here? Okay, so we need to find out what God has said and then we can pray prayers of faith for the things that are clear in Scripture. What is God's clear will? It's his will that people be saved. You can pray a prayer of faith for salvation. You hearing me? So that's why you need to know the Scriptures. So you can know what is God's general will, and then you find the general will of God. You can find the specific will of God, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, faith is a response to God. So Joshua is showing faith. Caleb is showing faith when they're, when they're understanding who they are, where Israel, God delights in us. And the promised land is God's idea, not ours. And so even though we're outgunned, outmanned, God's going to give it to us. It was his idea. So I can believe for that. You're seeing this. Now, if God calls me to do something and I chicken out, like if the Bible is calling me to live a certain way. And I chicken out, I can't do it. Because of the giants, because I'm outgunned, I'm out, I don't have the capacity, I don't have the wherewithal. I just can't find it in me. That's the whole freaking point. You can't. You need God to serve God. You can't do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the power of God, and it is available to you if you will believe the Lord. Not putting trust in yourself, but putting trust in the God who's called you to that thing. 
if I chicken out, I'm actually rebelling against God. And that's the cowardice that Revelation 21 is talking about. It's not just talking about, you know, well, I'm going to send to hell people who are scared of roller coasters. That's not what it's talking about. The book of Revelation is about being a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. Loving not our lives, even unto death. Will you be a faithful witness? If you will be a faithful witness, come hell or high water, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. Unfaithful witnesses are cowards. Numbers 14, 9. We already read it. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not rebel. Your rebellion is against the Lord. Don't call it, oh, I'm just afraid. No, 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 no. You're missing this here. If God called you to it, if he said, I want you to do this, and you're going, I don't have the capacity, what you're doing is you're rebelling against God. God's called me to holiness. I don't have the capacity. You're rebelling against God. God's called me to sanctification. Well, I just don't have the capacity. Well, I, of course you don't have the capacity. You're very broken, but you need the Holy Spirit. And if God's called you to it, he's going to make it happen. And that's what a life of faith is. A life of faith is going, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other, even when I know that I can't do this, believing that God's going to help me. Because if he's called, if it's his idea, then he's going to help me. That's a life of faith. And it looks ridiculous. Take Noah from Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Right? The dude's building a boat. It's like, what is this? I, I don't know. You've been building it a long time. I, I know. <laughs> well, don't you think that that makes no sense? But, the, but, but God gave me the blueprint. It, it does make no sense. I don't know what's going to happen, but all I know is I need to be obedient to God. I'm not going to be a coward. Because if I'm a coward, then it's actually, it's re what it really is, is rebellion. You know, we try to baptize our anxiety. It's not going to work. We have a major, major challenge in the church at the moment. I mean, the church has always had challenges. Okay. Every generation has faced major challenges. Here are some of our challenges at the present. God has told us to believe the Bible about what constitutes murder. But we take up less politically hostile positions because ultimately we are afraid to be faithful witnesses. We're afraid of the inhabitants of the land. We're saying, oh, giants, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. We know what murder is. Who are you called to serve? Yourself? Are you called to serve God? God has told us to believe Jesus about marriage. It's so clear. Mark chapter 10. Jesus quotes Genesis 1.27. It's, it's like, it's so obvious. If you are a pastor and you have a Bible in front of you, it is like the most obvious thing. We don't have to hate on people, but we need to point people to Jesus. You can't divorce Jesus from his words. You can't do that. But we take up these less socially volatile positions online or you know, at the office or whatever because we're afraid of being a faithful witness because of the people, because of the inhabitants of the land. Oh, God's not going to come through. If I tell people about repentance, you know, we think that repentance is, is a, it's a swear word. The reason why is because we don't actually believe the gospel, that it's the power of God unto salvation for people who believe. When you ask Paul about the gospel, he, he, he writes Romans chapter 1. That's a stinger. Oh, do you think that Romans chapter 1 is super impactful for all, our culture? I just got done reading um, Sappho. She was this wonderful artist about third, maybe 6th century B.C. Um, Greek poetry. She's a she was a sex maniac. It was incredible reading it. She, she's like naming all her lovers. And, and like she was like, she was married, but she had all these like incredible lesbian affairs. You can read about Sappho. Highly recommend it, actually. It's incredible. It's beautiful Greek poetry. But what I really loved about it was it was, it was showing me what Greek people thought like. 
And they, trust me, they were way more into sex than we are. I mean, they were literally, she was having sex with everybody on her island. The island of Lesbos. Which is, <laughs> actually, it's why lesbians are, are called lesbians, because of Sappho, the artist. And how do you think her culture would have received Romans chapter 1? You think that they would have been like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, let this go on in our, in our city. That's fine. No, it would have been like culturally, it would have been a cultural minefield, right? Like, the gospel is like, was, it was never popular. At, at any, this is why they fed Christians to the lions. Because, the, because it wasn't, oh, you know, Jesus just loves everybody. You know, he's got blonde hair, blue eyes. He's always giving the peace sign, carrying a lamb. God's super obsessed with you. He's like a stalker. He's always slipping into your DMs. Right? That's the Jesus that we propagate now. But that's not the Christ of Scripture. The Christ of Scripture, he comes after me and my cowardice. Right? I, see, I see me in the book of Revelation. I'm nervous. God's told us to train up our children in the ways of the Lord, but we fear people and, and, and they're going to call us crazy and they're going to call us Christian nationalists because we teach our kids to be Christians. Many of our young people have become cowards online. I, I speak at youth conferences all over the world. Not all of them, but there, there are many that are. Like, it, it's crazy. They're ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel calls people to repentance and it names sins. And it sucks because, because it's naming me. I'm the problem. We're all the problem. Romans chapter 1. You Greeks, you're in trouble. You're, you got some nasty things. Romans chapter 2. You Jews, you got some nasty too. Romans chapter 3. We all have nasty. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of all of us. None of us are unscathed when we read the New Testament. But we become, our young people become ashamed of the gospel because they want to be, they're embracing these brands of Christianity that are ultimately these, they're brands of apostasy. And, and essentially these brands allow these kids to be the empathetic hero. That puts people's lifestyles over God's word. Have you ever noticed like the trend in modern therapy? Which by the way, I have friends that are therapists, Christian therapists, Christian counselors, Christian psychologists, and they're wonderful people. But the trend in therapy is just to affirm people. Really, you know, so, so what's wrong with you, Mr. Finocchio? Well, I, I murder people. You do. How do you feel about that? Well, I feel bad. You don't have to. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> we, they're literally trained just to affirm your dysfunction. They also do it because they, you might leave and go to another therapist. And, and in the age of the psychological man, everybody has a counselor, and they love their counselor because their counselor just affirms their dysfunction. And the reason why Christianity is so hostile to the psychological age is because it calls us out on our rabid BS... It's not the church that these kids have rejected. It's not. That's, it's, just, it's such a game. Look, dude, churches suck. Why? Because people are in it, and people suck. Of course there's going to be pastors that are losers. Just like there's planes that fall out of the sky. You know, but have you ever noticed, though, that, like, I fly all the time, and, you know, like, I'm still alive. If you went off of the news on airplane disasters, you'd never fly. You'd think that every airplane always ends in a fiery crash. Right? And it's the same way with it, the way that, way that people talk about church and leadership. Most churches, like the 99.999% are safe, great churches with great leaders, great elders. But of course, there are people who make mistakes. And, you know, I'm a pastor's kid. I experienced a lot of horrible Christians. I love Jesus. 
How do we not know the difference between people who are just dysfunctional and have problems and Jesus Christ? Right? Of course there's problems. It's not the church that they, you know, all the hurtful Christianity, all this garbage, the shell game that they've rejected. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that you reject when you reject his words. You can't reject his words and keep Jesus. And there's this brand of Christianity where it's like, you, you get your fire insurance and you can kind of do whatever you want. I'm spiritual. I just reject religion. I'm against organized religion. Are you against organization in general? Or? <laughs> A coward is an unfaithful witness. People who don't want to be ostracized by the beast and his system because of the political and social fallout. Because of the cost. It costs to follow Jesus. There's a cross that we're all carried, or all called to carry. And you're supposed to carry the cross and not mind the splinters. The scriptures teach sacrificially giving to the work of the kingdom of God that is locally the church. This is stuff we all know. Jesus talked about money more than anything else. Well, churches is just after money. Jesus is after money. You want to know why? Because you are after money. And Jesus is going to go after what you're going after. It's literally, you, you know, we, we, all, we're, we all are just like, oh, money, 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 money. Ain't it funny? It's a rich man's world, right? And you're just like, we're all, we have this inner dialogue of anxiety about money. I'm like, rent due. It's going up. It's through the roof. I live in New York. And if I seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and I give to the local church, I'm going to come up short. <laughs> what a lie. You have, to, you have to mock it. Sometimes we've got to say those ridiculous things out loud so we can see how ridiculous they are. No, God has called you to flourish. And he provides seed to every sower. And if you become a sower and you start to partner with the kingdom of God, my friend, seed will always come to you. If he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Jesus is building his church. Dude, if Elon Musk sold everything and bought into one stock, I'm doing the same thing. If Elon and Warren are like, dude, we're both buying games, GameStop. You know what I mean? Like, you're right? I'd be like, get all in on GameStop. <laughs> right? Bed, Bath & Beyond. Everybody buy Bed, Bath & Beyond. <laughs> right? If you hearing me. Right? You watch the pros and then you do accordingly. Right? Right? If Nancy Pelosi is all in on GameStop, I'm definitely all in on GameStop. <laughs> she knows what's coming. <laughs> she writes the laws. Jesus is all in on the church. If you are all in on what Jesus is all in on, it's the safest bet you could ever do. It's, 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 the dividends are ridiculous. We are so short-sighted. This is why Jesus, had, he talked to us so kindly. He's like, you know... I'm gonna take, Father's going to take care of you. Like he, he takes care of grass. He takes care of birds. Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed as such as these. The lilies. He's going to take care. He's going to make you beautiful. He can take care of you. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And then all these things will be. And we struggle. Now, please hear me out. Learning obedience is not the same as, as rebellion. I'm learning obedience. Dude, I'm, I'm imperfect in, in every way. I'm imperfect in my giving. I'm imperfect in my, in, my, in my worship. I'm imperfect in my devotion. You hear me? We're imperfect, and we're learning obedience, and learning obedience takes time, right? But then there's the, the cowardice that I, I, I don't want to be guilty of, and the cowardice is this. No, God, I don't believe your words. I reject 
your words. There's giants. We can't do it. We can't do it. We, we can't, people can't repent of those things. People can't change. People can't. No, no, people can. The reason is, is because God will help them. God does the work. That is the scandal of the gospel, is that God no, not just saves you, but he fills you with his spirit, and he can break chains off of you in a minute. Repentance is this beautiful, beautiful word that you can change. In Numbers 13, 16, Moses, we read it already, and Moses changes Joshua's name. So Moses, was, or Moses called Hosea just before he goes on the hiking trip. Hosea to Joshua. Hosea means he saves or I save. And he changes his name to Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. You think about it. Like, so all of a sudden, he was Hosea. He was, he was I save. And now he's being called Yeshua on the hiking trip by all of his friends. Yahweh saves. Hey, Yahweh saves. Go get some wood. Hey, Yahweh saves. He's like, oh, my name's Yahweh saves now. It's insane, right? And so he's thinking, Yahweh saves. Well, he's on the spy trip. And it's starting to, that identity changes start to really sink into him. Hosea would look and he would feel the burden of the promised land. And oh my, how are we going to do this? But Yeshua looks and he sees what Yahweh's going to do. Right? Because Yahweh saves. Yahweh's going to give this to us. Hosea would pee his pants a little bit when he sees the, the sons of Anak. You know what I mean? He's like, ooh. Right? Yeshua sees the Anakim and wonders how God is going to destroy them. Is, is he going to be like, is it going to be like an angelic roundhouse kick? Is there going to be some sort of angelic camel gang with matching vests? And they're just going to beat these Anak guys up? Right? How is God going to do it? Um, Hosea sees the grapes, but his imagination begins to run wild, and he's catastrophizing, and he sees everything, he starts to say everything hyperbolically. Yeah, the great grapes, but, you know, the land devours its inhabitants. Right? That's like, that's like saying there's sharks with laser beams on their foreheads in the promised land, and there's sharks there. First, there's sharks, and they have laser beams. If we were there, dude, and there's a shark NATO that was there, and the shark NATO was spitting out these sharks who become land sharks. They have laser beams. Right? It's like, no, that's, that's the hyperbole of cowards. There's no such thing as a shark with laser beams, you know, shark with frickin' laser beams in their frickin' foreheads. <laughs> Hosea is freaking out because King's Church has to be out of this building in six weeks. Oh, oh, it's New York. Everything's expensive. And finally, we're never going to, our church is going to be homeless. Like everybody else in this city. We're going to be meeting in a tent down by the river. Right? I liked coming here. I liked walking through Chinatown. It was so pleasant. Right, Hosea's freaking out. Joshua, Yeshua, he's imagining prophetically how God is going to pull off another miracle and move hearts and supply seed to every sower. David, God's going to open the doors. He's going to open the doors. God's going to give you the land. Come on. Jesus is building his church. And if you are building the kingdom of God, man, you're, you're along for an amazing ride. Church, God's not brought you this far to leave you and forsake you. Why don't you stand? We're done. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God, it was, it was your idea. Come on, just if, if you're here today and this, this word just strengthens you, maybe you're called to some stuff and you're looking at some stuff and you're going, God, I, don't, I can't do this. That is an accurate estimation. It's not a bad report yet. <laughs> right? Accurate estimations are pretty good. Like when you can, when you can honestly say, God, I can't do this, that's, that's some good self, that's self-consciousness. That's a gift from God. It's a grace. 
to be able to say, God, I don't have the power. I can't do this in my own strength. I need your help. If that's where you're at, and it's an accurate report, but you're struggling to, 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 sometimes we have to remind ourselves, no, God called me to this. God called me to this. And you just, what you need today is some fresh strength for the battle. Your heart, you know, needs to, this is why we sing the songs. We come to church and we sing the songs and we sit under the preaching of the word to remind ourselves that God called us. God is faithful. See, Jesus is the faithful one. He's the faithful witness in John in Revelation 2. And he's been faithful. And he will, the, he's the one who began the good work in you. He will be faithful to complete it. If God's called you to it, he'll be faithful to complete it for you. That's you. And you're going, God, I, I need more of your grace, more of your power in my life. I'm, maybe some of you, you're looking like you're looking at the promised land. And maybe you've seen the grapes. And you're like, I'm so close. I'm, but I'm overwhelmed by the task. If that's just you, just lift your hand to the Lord this morning. Just, that, Nate, that's me. I need the grace of God. I need the power of God. I need the favor of God. Father, we thank you. Lord, we come to you. We come to you. We look to you. You are our song and you are our salvation. As we sang today, you, O oh Lord, are my strength and my shield. And God, we yield to you. We yield to your purposes. Father, we bind ourselves to, to, to the purposes of God today. Lord, maybe there's some of us that we've deviated from the path of righteousness. Maybe some of us have deviated from the purposes of God. And Lord, we're, we're coming back and we're saying, no, God, I'm sticking to it. I will be a faithful witness. God, I'm with you heart and soul. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I ask you, that by your spirit, by your grace, that you would strengthen every heart. Father, thank you that if you called us to it, you are the one that will do that deep work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts 20, 27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God, And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text KCNYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world so believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.